Hello, welcome back to Tab U. My name's Katrina. I'm joined with Kobe from Tab and Asif from Acclivity. We're back once again with the top five questions you've been asking, this time on accounting. Would, Would you guys, guys like, like to introduce, introduce yourself, yourself, Kobe? Yeah, hi, I'm Kobe from Tab. Uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer, um, and that means I'm responsible for uh, legal compliance operations, a, a whole raft of things. And Asif? Hi, I'm Asif, um, Managing Director at Clivity Advisors. Uh, we are a an advisory and accountancy practice for entrepreneurs and their companies. Great. So let's kick things off with question number one, which is, what is accounting? What is accounting? Okay, so I think I tend to think of accounting as slightly multifaceted. Um, so on a very basic level, accounting is really just taking a record of your transactions on a day-to-day -day basis so that you have uh, a reliable source to track where you've spent money, where you've, where you've received money from. Uh, but that's on a very basic level. Um, the, the next level up is that all of the, those records need to translate into a compliance requirement, which is enforced upon an individual or a company from a company's house or HMRC as the tax authority in the case of the UK. Um, so, so your accounting uh, really needs to translate into legisl in, into comply with legislation that's been enforced from authorities. Uh, but really where you want your accounting to get to is to a point where it is informing your decision making. Um, so the compliance is sort of like a positive outcome of, of the record keeping. But really where you want to get to is a point where it's actually helping you make strategic decisions in the future. So what, what do you do? What's like day to day? What's, what's your role? Yeah, so so my role is um, is slightly different to what we what everyone else maybe does in in the company. Um, we we provide uh, pretty much full stack compliance and advisory services to our clients, um, and that ranges from helping them with possibly their bookkeeping. Though many of our companies are maybe slightly further along the line and and have finance departments where they do that, but we help them make sure that not only are they compliant from a accounting VAT taxation perspective but that also we are providing them with management information that they can use for their management meetings board meetings uh, investor presentations whatever it might be uh, but that starts with making sure that they are completely compliant and meeting their compliance requirements and in general do all accountants well they obviously don't do the same thing if you do something different yeah. so what kind of other things would other accountants do yeah, no, it, it depends. I think um, the industry is sort of slowly converging into everyone roughly doing the same things. But 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 we have a, a, a niche insofar as working with uh, mainly entrepreneurs, typically technology entrepreneurs, and then typically uh, institutional venture capital backed companies. And so they have a specific requirement um, from us. But but generally, most accountancy practices will at the very least do and assist with compliance requirements. Um, so helping with things like VAT, payroll, accounting, filing at company's house, filing at HMRC. Uh, and then you have various niche companies who do all of those things, but maybe for a niche subsector. And then those subsectors have further requirements. Like in our case, we might help with reporting to a venture capitalist um, or uh, we might have help with FCA filings, for example, if, if that's something that is uh, relevant for a particular company. But not every general practice can necessarily be assumed to do those things. And before we round this question up, why yeah. do we have accountants then? Is it the compliance reason or is it, yeah, that's a good you question. know, 
yeah, I think. What's your purpose? <laughs> Gosh, yeah, you don't, to, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but um, but no, I think that's a good question, and I and I and I don't think people often know the answer to that question. Uh, it sort of starts off as a bit of a comfort blanket, so they just assume that if we're working with someone who's qualified in these matters, where where entrepreneurs or, or whoever it might be may not be, so it gives them a comfort blanket that look ultimately I have a compliance obligation. Um, and I want to make sure that the person who's most qualified to, to help me with that is engaged to help me. Uh, that's that's fine on a, on a very basic level. I think that's a good enough reason to engage with an accountant. Um, but ultimately, it should be uh, to get to a point where that 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 person becomes effectively like a trusted advisor to your business, um, and and hopefully they can help you learn in a way where some of the more basic things come naturally to you rather than something that you're outsourcing out of fear. Great. Which is such a neat segue into question two. Yeah, exactly. So question number two, what are the basics of accounting? Um, Right. Okay. Well, the basics of of accounting are that ultimately everything needs to translate into a a deliverable um, to someone and somewhere. Um, I think all of your record keeping and your bookkeeping need to eventually translate into what are known as financial statements. And what are the differences between record keeping and bookkeeping? Are they this like for kind of our listeners yeah. who don't necessarily know or have heard of it? Yeah, yeah. You know. So, well, I, I think of the, those as slightly different things insofar as record keeping is just what I suppose anyone would do without any kind of motivation behind how they're kept. So maybe just a spreadsheet or or if you keep physical documents for whatever reason, um, you, you do. But in my mind, bookkeeping is the translation of those records so that they meet the standard and requirements that they are meant to meet eventually. Um, so whether that's from a tax perspective, now there's various legislation that HMRC has uh, has imposed upon companies as to things like what is a deductible expense versus what is not a deductible expense. In my mind, bookkeeping is the translation of basic records into records that meet those standards so record keeping almost comes before the bookkeeping and could just be the keeping of receipts and then going this is expenditure this is exactly refund i don't know yeah i mean like for example things like uh, holding on to your documents and things are a a legal requirement um and someone that doesn't know how to get from that point all the way to how do they get filed at company's house they may well just hold on to those documents for their own purposes but a bookkeeper typically or an accountant will help translate that box, physical box of documents into something that actually HMRC and Companies House will accept. And what are some examples of some basic terms or concepts that, you know, our, our listeners, you know, most yeah. of whom are investors, would should need should be aware of? Yeah. Um, so so as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the ultimate deliverable um, for an accountant to produce is a set of accounts and for financial statements. Um, and financial statements on a very basic level are made up of um, what's known as a profit and loss account, which loosely translated is um, how much money did you earn versus how many how much expenses did you expend? And therefore, what are you left with as a net position of profit or a loss? Um, hence the name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, and, and, and ultimately, what that gives you is an, is an indication of your trading activity. So on a on, on a on a nuts and bolts level, does your business make more than it spends uh, or vice versa? And if it's vice versa, then why is it vice versa? Is it something because you're you're a very early stage business and so you're having to spend more in things like advertising, et cetera, et cetera, to get your business off the ground? Um, 
Or is it because there's something fundamentally wrong, as in you're buying something more expensive than you're selling it, in which case it gives you a very quick way of making a decision. Um, the second is the balance sheet. So the balance sheet is effectively a statement of the, uh, the what's known as the financial position of the business. So a statement of your assets and liabilities. So those are uh, effectively at any point in time, just a summary of what the business owns in terms of resources to actually create a business or do a business in the first place. So that might be things like physical equipment, um, uh, IT um, equipment, or whatever it might be, depending on the industry, uh, and a statement of your liabilities. So who, who owes you money or who versus who you owe money to, to give you a net position on what the value of your business is. Are you worth a positive number versus a negative number based on your current position today? So the kind of financial statements might not necessarily you, do you need financial statements and the balance sheets to get your evaluation of the company or could you just use one or the other? Or Yeah, so so the balance sheet forms part of what's overall known as the financial statements. So the financial yeah. statements are the P&L and balance sheet on a very basic level. For larger companies, that requirement extends to other, other statements also. Um, but yeah, the valuation of a, of a business is, a, I suppose, a separate conversation insofar as there are various ways you can value a business. Um, and it depends on your sector as to what's, what's sort of known as the industry norm for valuing businesses in your subsector. So some businesses are valued on a multiple of their profit, for example. Um, some businesses are valued as a multiple of their revenue. Um, mm. Other businesses more basically are valued on just what your balance sheet number is. So, you know, whatever your balance sheet is, they'll just assume that to be the value of your business. And then kind of going back to the basics of accounting, mm -hmm. we've got financial statement, financial mm -hmm. statement, balance sheet, kind of what other elements might we need well you, you mentioned profit and loss was yep. there anything else or do you think that's it in no terms so, of so i mean in terms of uh, statutory requirements those are really the only two that most small companies will be uh, obligated to file but for the, the most important statement that i think uh, people should try and get comfortable with is what's known as a cash flow statement um, which translates everything that's happening into your business with really how the cash is moving so if I, uh, if I show you your profit and loss account, and earlier I mentioned that that shows you effectively how much money you have made versus you've spent, that doesn't necessarily translate into how, how much cash has come in and out of the businesses yet, because that is very largely dependent on how efficient you are as a business. Um, so if, uh, to give you a, to, uh, an example of that, if I, if I was to raise an invoice to you for a thousand pounds, um, and I and I only spent a hundred pounds in whatever it was that was a direct cost in delivering that service to you. For profit and loss purposes, I've made a nine hundred pound profit, um, which you know uh, optically is is a pretty good situation to be in. However, if I'm really bad at collecting money from you, for example, I have no processes by which to follow up, and uh, or or for example, I have to extend payment terms to you because of the nature of the business of ninety days or one hundred and twenty days my cash flow statement will not mirror that optically good situation that my profit and loss account is showing. Um, so for, for, for small businesses, even though it's not a compliance requirement, I, you know, we always advise that companies have some way of tracking their what's known as a cash flow statement. Larger companies have that as an obligation to file as well. Um, but, but that's, a, I suppose, a good foundation in understanding how profit and loss can give you a very different picture to what the cash flow statement will ultimately show you. So basically time is the key factor Correct. in that. And yeah. I guess then the the, the follow-up question then would be how far forwards mm -hmm. are businesses looking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess the bigger the business, the further forwards you look. Correct. But yeah. I mean, you know, can you just speak a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. Um, so 
again, it's a, as you mentioned, it, it depends on the stage of the business. So larger businesses have more predictability and therefore more forecasting ability. Um, when you are a smaller business, as I suspect many of your um, viewers are, um, it's harder to know, you know, what is a reliable number to put for what's going to happen mm. 12 or 24 months down the line. Um, and so, so really, and, and, and to be honest, I've, you know, I'm quite straightforward with clients and to say that anything beyond 12 or 24 months is really fantasy uh, in, in, a, in a small company, unless you have some data points to say this I know is going to happen in the next 12 or 24 months. Um, but yeah, uh, larger businesses, I would say probably forecast up to up to five years, smaller businesses, maybe 12 months at the maximum. Cool. Um, that brings us on to question number three, which is, what are the steps to becoming an accountant? <laughs> Needed a little bit of a cue there. But... Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, well, I suppose an accountant, you have to, I suppose you have to define what an accountant is in the first instance. I mean, account, an accountant really is anyone that can reliably do all of the things that I mentioned earlier. So if someone has the ability um, to prepare these, uh, you know, to help businesses and prepare these compliance uh, deliverables in an accurate way, by definition, they are an accountant. Um, but uh, but really, when you get to the point where you're dealing with slightly larger organizations who need a qualified accountant to help them with their um, work, that's a slightly different process. Um, so, for example, in my case, I'm a chartered accountant with uh, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. Now, to go to become uh, a chartered accountant, you need to go through a period of training with a firm, with a you know typically a larger firm, not always. Um, who will employ you on effectively a training contract, a bit similar to, to, to lawyers um, who, who get jobs as a, as a, on a training contract. And what that enables you to do is go through a period of typically three years where you're doing exams and, and, and gaining experience at the same time. Um, so I think I did something like 15 exams mm -hmm. uh, over three years um, with, uh, with, at the time, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, and uh, and at the end of that process, you you become a chartered accountant, um, and then it takes a couple of years of post qualification experience for you to then for you to be able to then obtain what's known as a practicing certificate. So if you want to go out and actually advise people in your own capacity, as opposed to under mm -hmm. the banner of a bigger organisation, um, it's probably another two, a subsequent two years to get a, a practicing certificate. And is it at that point that you're chartered or you're chartered when you finish the, the two years or how does yeah. that work? And what does it actually mean to be yeah. chartered? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, so you're, char you're chartered at the point at which you finish your exams and you've completed your uh, mandatory hours or days or whatever it is. So uh, and you could be a chartered accountant within a large organization. Um, it's only at the point at which you have obtained the subsequent experience that you can then go and do that in your own capacity rather than under the liability cap of a different organization. Understood. So, um, and so, yeah, what does it mean to be chartered? It's, that's an interesting question and I'm not sure. People normally mm -hmm. find out when they're faced with a requirement for only a chartered accountant to be able to sign a particular document. But, but ultimately, I think um, where the, the chartered accountant label is landing is is a there is an element of trust that this person has gone through a certain level of experience and, and has to sign up every year to uh, a certain minimum standard at the very least of a code of ethics and um, uh, and compliance requirements with their own institute um, to say that they are you know operating in a technically strong and ethical manner um, but largely also many organizations will only accept accounts or um, or undertakings from uh, an accountancy firm or an accountant that has the requisite qualification. 
Uh, and so that's where that distinction between someone that is just very good at getting the job done versus someone that can do the same job but with a chartered banner. And do you need to, I've always thought accountancy equals maths equals numbers, fall asleep, (laughs) do you need to be good at maths to be an accountant? I mean, uh, clearly no, Um, (laughs) but but no, I think think it's not so much maths that you need to be good at. I mean, I think, you know, in 2021, there's very little, I'd like to think, just physical maths that's being done by accountants, but, but you need to have an appreciation for how all the moving pieces work and connect to each other. So, um, so for example, to take to go back to the uh, scenario of the profit and loss account and the balance sheet, they all have in you know equal and opposite effects depending on what happens. So, you know, if you make more money, that means you have more cash, and so both you know both statements interact with each other, and you need to be able to logically um, work through what the, the the impacts and effects of everything that the business does is mm-hmm. and are. Um, and that's a slightly different, that's a sort of mathematically rooted capability, but thankfully it's not. <laughs> yeah. And kind of just kind of a bit of a interesting question, I guess, is what's the most unusual thing you've come across in when kind of looking at the books and doing the accounts? Have you kind of suddenly gone red flag or, oh, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> like, you know, 200 pounds here. I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, yeah, you do see, um, you know, I, I do see uh, interesting things all the time, and it, and and it's all you know through various scenarios that people end up in with these interesting situations. But you know, a lot of the time, for example, it's not always the client's fault um, where an an interesting situation has created itself because you know the the, the legislation is not easy to navigate. Um, and you know, I have a theory that actually a lot of the reason that the industry is actually propped up is because of how complicated the uh, the system is to navigate through which i don't fu- actually fundamentally agree should be the case but um but you know there are circumstances where for example people will receive an investment um from an investor uh, and we will for the first time see that in their profit and loss account so for example they will have treated that as income as if the, it was the same as revenue from a customer um, and, you know, you don't necessarily, you, you know, as in our position, we double take on a situation like that. But you can kind of understand when you've explained things on a very basic level as here is your income and expenses <laughs> statement and here is your balance sheet. Why people have just thought, OK, well, if I've received £100,000 of investment, that's income. Um, and so there are things like that that present themselves every so often, which is which is interesting. Um, but uh, but, you know, it, where we are right now is slightly further down um I suppose the business life cycle with most of our companies uh, we see interesting things all the time with um, you know uh, with venture capitalists for example the way they structure their investments sometimes is interesting um, and uh, and can affect the company in various different ways and so we we need to advise at that point mm-hmm. you know what what the optimal solution for them is so do you think that all accountants need to be commercial yeah on some level yeah I think so uh, on some level uh, it's it's difficult for a, uh, an accountant to be truly helpful if they've never really operated a business themselves. Um, now, arguably, you could say they're running their own practice, and on some level, that is a business also. Um, but I, but I think that you know, primarily, the 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 best trait an accountant can have, other than being technically strong, is empathy, um, and you know, to truly be able to relate to what it is that their client is going through, um, because you know. For what it's worth, the compliance is an obligation. It's not, doesn't. It's not really mm-hmm. value adding to anyone, really. Um, but having the empathy at the at the very start is really only possible if the accountant has been through similar experiences to what the entrepreneur is going through. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, sorry, I kind of lost the, the root of your question, no, but it, it just sounds yeah. like roughly was, that's what it was. No, I think that's it. But, you know, yeah. having an understanding of you yeah. know the commercial realities rather than just the technical expertise to Correct. be able to give you the P and L, the, the you know deliver the accounts, whatever it may be. Yeah, no, particularly with you know with uh, in in the port in the sort of niche that we operate in, which is uh, early stage tech businesses for the most part, everything about their financial statement says that they should not be in business. Right, right, um, and and maybe a more traditional accountancy firm would advise that to say, you know, what are you doing? Um, you know, you lose money all the time. Um, you know, why would you bother pursuing this? Um, but you have to have seen that model work um, to encourage people that actually it doesn't look great, but here's some of the glimmers of hope that we can hold on to, and here's what we should pursue, and here's maybe a backstop to how long we can let this continue, kind of thing, and you provide. Because the, the entrepreneur always knows, right? It's, you know, it's like um, it, it, they always know what situation they're in. And the last thing they need is their advisor to remind them how bad it is. <laughs> mm. You know, you need to have the commercial awareness and the empathy to be able to sort of know where that what mindset they're coming to you with and be able to translate that into something that's going to actually help them um, rather than sort of just make them realize that you realize that they're in as bad a situation <laughs> as they are. And you've talked about technical skills, you've mentioned sort of uh, empathy, mm-hmm. and obviously we've, we've spoken about understanding the, the commercial reality of the, the situation that the client finds themselves in. Yeah. What other skills do you think are needed to make a, a good you know, accountant, a good advisor? Yeah, yeah so I think that um, one thing that we try and do quite a lot of, um, there's a couple of things actually is is at the at the very beginning to make sure that you are the right accountant for that client um and that's a hard conversation to have a lot of the time because in our case for example we get um, the majority if not all of our work by referral um and so there is an element of trust and expectation that comes with those kinds of introductions but it's it's just just not the case that every advisor is right for every client um and unfortunately it's always the client that finds that out the hard way um, after a 12 or 24 months of working with an advisor that really just doesn't understand their sector or their growth plan or whatever it might be. And so at the very beginning, I think it's important for the for the accountant to be able to have that transparency um, with a client to say, we either are or not the right company to work with for, for, for X, Y, Z reasons. And here is someone that maybe is the right company for you to work with. Um, so transparency, I think, at the early and the, on the early stages, is definitely a trait that accountants should have and should foster. Um, but but also then just uh, you know along the way, making sure you have the ability to teach entrepreneurs um, and take them from where they are to where they need to be, so that they have the ability to ask you better questions. Um, and and so we're we're sort of huge on that. We will always at the very beginning of every relationship say. Here are all the things that we possibly could do for you. And here are 50% of those things that you could do yourself if you're willing to learn them from us. And then you don't need to pay us to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always, you know, that's always kind of met with a what's the catch kind of reaction. Um, but ultimately, you know, we just don't want to be in a position where we're charging people for things that they could do themselves. And some people turn around and say, I know I could do that myself, but I want you to do it because I don't have the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And it's, you know, it's done, it's dealt with. Um, but where, where clients have embraced that sort of mantra of working, mm-hmm. you know, instantly within 12 months, your relationship is just so much more value add because, you know, you're not wasting that airtime on talking about 
effectively basic things which really anyone could do. Yeah, because I was going to say that's quite counterintuitive for a mm. professional services firm. You know, mm. you're not in the forgive me for saying so in the helping industry yeah, yeah, you know exactly. so you know obviously like a doctor yeah. or a therapist they don't want to see their their, exactly. their customers again yeah yeah but i hear what you're saying that if you can give them the basics then you're not doing the basics exactly. and then the stuff that you are doing is as you say greater value add yeah and, and and ultimately it's just all about you know you're really only ever going to get the questions answered for the questions that you ask right so um if you are not improving your process by which you are asking questions then really that's testament to I suppose what your journey is going to be like as an entrepreneur so you know I think there is only so many hours in the day there's only so many days in the week that we can interact with every individual client if that time is going to be used discussing oh you know how do I what VAT rate do I use for this Costa receipt for example um, you know that's an opportunity where we could have been having a conversation about you know how do I open my own Costa or or whatever it might be Um, and, you know, that's a slightly simplistic example, but, you know, even still you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and a lot of entrepreneurs are receptive to it. Most entrepreneurs was, will just say, I simply don't have the time to, to learn about these things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy for you to do and charge whatever it is you charge to do this. And then where we what we do, then do is land at a sort of halfway point where we say, okay, if you don't want to do it and we don't think we should be doing it, then let's try and automate it as much as possible because there's so much, you know, um, reasonably priced software out there to, to automate a lot of legwork. Cool. And uh, question number four, sure. um, when would I need an accountant? Yeah. Um, if I could just frame this because that's, <laughs> that's a broad question. Yeah, that is a broad question. And I think, look, yeah. you know, we know that our, uh, the people listening mm-hmm. um, are either investors or interested in mm-hmm. investing. And so I guess what would be useful f- to hear from you would be in one as a property investment context and yep. then two maybe in a broader, more general investment context. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, depending on whether you are an individual or a company, um, I suppose that the, the thought process is roughly the same. Uh, but effectively, when you really need an accountant, I would suggest, is when you're thinking about starting your investing. Um, and the reason for that is because it seems counterintuitive to engage an advisor when you've not done anything yet, um, because well, you know what do you really need advice on? Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's it's important to make sure that you don't end up starting something that becomes irreversible or becomes so inefficient that you've blown a lot of quite precious capital at that point. And to give you some examples of that, you know there are situations where in a property context people will buy a property. Um, and they'll buy it maybe in their own names and they will buy it with a view to building a property portfolio. And that may well be fine for their specific circumstances, but it's not the right and most efficient outcome for everyone. So um, so whereas for the first individual, that may be the perfect structure. For the second individual, it may well have been a better idea for them to have purchased that property in a company um, because of what their plans are or because of whatever their structure is and all of that sort of thing. Now. By the time they've bought that property, it now becomes almost not irreversible, but very expensive to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's useful to have uh, some advice at that point. So I'm thinking about investing or I'm thinking that I'm going to play out this strategy or whatever it might be. On a more nuts and bolts level, you ultimately need an accountant when you need to begin declaring and filing income and um, profits and gains and whatever it might be. So for an individual, that will probably look like uh, assistance with filing your tax return 
Um, so for calculating capital gains or calculating income on rental, whatever it might be, um, and uh, and sort of and tax returns are due by the thirty first of January every year. Um, so it makes sense to have engaged with an accountant beforehand to make sure that you have adequate time to get registered and all of those things. Um, and for a company, again, you may actually even just start um, engaging with an accountant at the point that you want to set up your structure. Um, so so, so to, to conclude on that, I suppose the, the, the best way to think about it is it's probably earlier than you would have expected to. Um, so if, if you feel as though you're about to embark on something, it's always, it's always useful to get that advice early. And would there be any differences? So, you know, um, lots of our listeners will, you know, have some spare capital and mm -hmm. be thinking about investing. You know, they might be looking at some tab products, which is, you know, the equity or the debt. Yeah. Um, they might be looking at doing a property investment themselves. Other people might be looking at, you know, the stock market mm -hmm. or, you know, a, a, another sort of financial product mm -hmm. that's not property based. Uh, are there key differentials when you're looking at those different types of investments when it comes to speaking to an accountant? Speaking to an accountant, yeah, I think um, there can be. So if you are a, um, a property investor, I think it's almost worth speaking to an accountant that has property experience because it's just such, it's a topic on its own. Um, you know, there are structuring um, strategies that not every accountant will be familiar with. Um, uh, and you know, and and similarly with if you're investing in, you know, equities or cryptocurrency or whatever it might be, not every accountant will have seen or had much experience in advising efficiently advising. I mean, they'll help you say, ultimately, I've deduced you need to file a tax return, um, and every accountant can do that. But but truly, where you're looking for advice, it's worth going to an accountant that has sector knowledge of that specific industry. Cool. And going into our last and last question, question number five is what information do I need to provide an accountant? Um, okay. Let's say I've got you in at the right time, just <laughs> early enough. <laughs> There's a couple of months before my tax return is due. Right, right. So is that long enough? Uh, yeah, that's well, <laughs> typically it can be fine. Depends on how, how complicated your tax return is. But, Very. <laughs> um, but essentially, uh, you need to provide your accountant for tax return purposes with a summary of all of your income and expenses and any profits or gains you may have made um, across all of your involvements. So um, if you have if you're running all of these things concurrently, so you might have um, you may have you know, employment income. And so, you know, a summary of your employment income in the form of things like your P60, um, any pension contributions you may have made. Um, and then alongside that, where you have made extra income or gains, you need to have a summary of exactly how much income you made, what the direct costs against that income were. Um, and, you know, if you have, you know, things like equities and you've bought and sold shares or you've bought and sold properties, um, you know, you would need all of the details surrounding those transactions. So, you know, how much you purchased those things for, how much you sold them for, um, what the costs were again associated with those. Mm -hmm. And an accountant's job is really to assimilate all of that information and ensure that you are paying the most optimal level of tax against all of the outcomes of you know your trading activity. And how angry would I would you be if yeah. I just gave, printed out thirty four pages of my ba <laughs> my bank account and said here you go? Yeah, that yeah, that probably probably wouldn't work for us. Yeah, no, um, yeah, no. At the very least, um, at the point at which we engage, we'll always sort of advise clients as to how we would like to see their um, documents at the end of the year, um, and that's typically either through a spreadsheet or, or or link to a software that they might be using. 
Um, but yeah, no, having just a sort of printout <laughs> of the bank statements is probably a 10 year ago problem. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, that wraps things up for today's podcast. Uh, thank you, Kobe and Asif. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's been really good to have you on. Hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners have found it useful. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share. And next time we'll be talking about care homes. See you then.